We welcome you to our service tonight. May we indeed know the the presence and and blessing of God. The psalmist exhorts us, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. So let us sing to, to his praise. We sing in the Scottish Psalter in Psalm 106 and verses 1 to 5. draw near to God in prayer. We do indeed give praise and thanks unto thee, the God of our salvation, the God who has redeemed us by the blood of thy Son, a covenant-keeping and faithful God, one who is utterly glorious. Thou art from all eternity, before the mountains were brought forth, thou art So, O God, we come to thee, and we pray that thou wouldst reveal thyself afresh to us in thy word, that thou wouldst delight and thrill our hearts with the great truths of the gospel, that we would go away from this place rejoicing, knowing that it was good for us to have been here, to have met with thy people, and to know that thy promise is that where two or three are gathered together in thy name, that thou art there in the midst. And, O God, we thank thee that thy presence is with us here to do us good and to bless us. We seek that thou wouldst help us to come with penitent hearts, with a broken spirit, with uh, that contrition which is acceptable unto thee. Thou art the God who dwells with him as a humble 
and of our contrite spirit. Help us to tremble at thy word. And help us also to find riches and treasure and spiritual sustenance and nourishment in the word of God. We thank thee for Christ, who is the bread of life. And we thank thee for the word which is the sincere milk of the word, but which also contains strong meat for us also. We pray that thou would help us, that we would profit from the word preached, it being blessed to our hearts by the Spirit of God. Help us to receive it in faith. Help us to obey the word in faith. And help us that we would be doers and not just hearers of the word of God. We thank thee at the beginning of this week that we can commit ourselves and our ways unto the Lord with the assurance that thou art the shepherd of thy people. Thou art the one who guides Joseph like a flock. And so we pray that thou wouldst undertake for us in all our responsibilities and duties uh, this week, in all the difficulties which we may face, in all the, the problems which we will encounter. And we ask that thou wouldst help us uh, to live to thy praise and honour and glory, remembering that the chief end of man is to glorify thee and to enjoy thee. We pray that day by day that thou wouldst help us to uh, be strong in serving God, to be thy witnesses, deliver us from the fear of man, which is a snare, and help us instead, that we would be able uh, to live uh, in the, the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of true wisdom. Give to us a teachable, humble, godly spirit. We ask thy blessing to be upon uh, not only ourselves gathered like this, but upon uh, our loved ones. We pray that thou wouldst be near to them and that thou wouldst speak to their hearts too. We pray too for the worshipping church of Christ, that thou wouldst grant that wherever thy people are gathered together, that there would be that consciousness of the presence of God. And we pray that thy people would be encouraged and would be strong and would not be intimidated by the godlessness of this present evil world. In Jesus' name we ask these things, and for thy glory. Amen. So let us uh, sing again, this time in uh, Psalm 78. Again in the, the Scottish uh, Psalter. And we're going to... Uh, sing verses 16 to 20 and later on we're going to sing another few verses in this in the psalm so verses 16 to, to 20 the waters lord perceived thee the waters saw thee well and they and they for fear aside did flee the depths on trembling oh sorry that's the 77 78 and it is uh, from from verse 16 he from the rocks brought streams like floods, made waters to run down, yet sinning more in desert they provoked the Holy One. This is a psalm which uh, goes over the, the history of, of Israel, which recounts it, 
uh, and to all to the praise of God and tries to bring lessons out of it. Let us read now in the book of Exodus in chapter 16. And we shall read verses 9 to 15. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked towards the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning the dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread 
that the Lord has given you to eat. And then in the, the book of Numbers and chapter 11, So, Numbers chapter 11, and we read verses 4 to 9. <coughs> now, the rabble that was among them, that is among the, the children of Israel, had a strong craving. And the people of Israel also wept again and said, All oh, that we had meat to eat, we remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. Now the manna was like coriander seed and its appearance like that of bedellium. The people went about and gathered it and ground it in hand mills or beat it in mortars and boiled it in pots and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was like the taste of cakes baked with oil. When the dew fell upon, when the dew fell upon the camp at night, the manna fell with it. So uh, may God add His blessing to that reading of His own most holy word. And let us pray again. Our gracious God, we come before Thee to seek Thy blessing upon each one of us here and upon the. The work and witness of this congregation, and we seek that thou wouldst work mightily in its midst to the glory of thy name. We thank thee for the good number of young people which there are uh, present here today, and we ask that thou wouldst guide and lead and direct them in thy ways all the days of their lives, that they would know the, the rich encouragement and blessing of God, and that they in their day and generation would serve the living and the true God. We ask thy blessing to be upon the work among the young people of the congregation and we pray for the community as well. That young people in the community would be reached with the gospel of Christ, with the good news of salvation. We remember uh, outreach also uh, among our people, young people of the land. We think of things like the uh, seaside missions, we think of the uh, of the camps which are held and we ask that the rich blessing of God would be upon them and pray that thou wouldst bring the generation which is arising uh, to know the Lord and to serve thee. We pray for thy blessing to be upon the minister of this congregation and we ask that uh, Farquhar would indeed know the presence of God with him at this time. May thy healing hand be upon him may he be restored to health and strength and fitness and usefulness in the kingdom of God and in the congregation. We thank thee for the new office bearers in the congregation and for all, uh, all the office bearers and we just do pray that the hand of the Lord would be upon them, that they would be given great wisdom and uh, they would be spiritual leaders who would be examples to the flock in all things. Remember our nation, we do pray that thou wouldst cause that the, the Spirit of God would be at work. How much we need thee, how spiritually darkened we are. 
Remember also the nations of the earth. Send forth thy light and thy truth. We think of Adam and Becky at this time and ask that thou wouldst be near to them and keep them and uphold them and strengthen them and grant all Adam's labours in the Lord reaching out uh, to uh, his fellow countrymen would be richly owned and blessed of thee and we thank thee for all the stories which we have read in the record of the Lord's hand being upon him and of the Lord's provision for him in time of need. Heed us, we do, we do pray at this time as we continue to wait upon thee in Jesus' name. Amen. So let us sing again to the, the praise of God once more in Psalm 78, this time verses 21 uh, to, to 27. So we continue singing there. The Lord did hear and waxed wrath, so kindled was a flame against Jacob and against Israel. Up indignation came. <coughs>
Well, this morning we were looking at the um, provision of God in redemption and the great price that was paid. Uh, tonight we're looking at the, the grace of God in providence, in the way that God provides for his people. So let us turn to Numbers and chapter 11 and at verse 6. But now our strength is dried up and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. A little bit of background first of all. The first passage that we read in, in Exodus took place in, uh, quite shortly after the uh, deliverance from the pursuing uh, hosts of Pharaoh at the Red Sea. And the, the previous chapter, chapter 15, it had the great song of, of triumph. Uh, and then after that, they, they took their, their journey into the wilderness. And it was scarcely any time at all. You, I can't remember exactly how many verses. Just a few verses. And then the people started uh, complaining. So there was the... Uh, there was the lack of water or the bitterness of the water at Mara and so on and uh, then about, about their food and they complained about it and here uh, which is at least two years later uh, after they had moved away from uh, Sinai where they had the Ten Commandments two years later it's virtually the same sort of story they are still grumbling, they are still complaining, they are still moaning, and so on. So that is the, is the background uh, to, to this verse. Now, today, our supermarkets uh, are stuffed with all sorts of uh, varieties of fish, with uh, cucumbers and melons and leeks and, and garlics and onions and everything exotic from uh, all parts of, of the world. Uh, I remember being in a, in a house in, in Fortros a few years ago and they have an exchange uh, with a school in Malawi and the, there was a, a lad from, from Malawi there and the people in the house were saying they'd take him along to a local supermarket and he was and his eyes were sort of popping out of his head at the, at the variety of the, the food which, which was there. We don't realise the plenty that we have, the abundance, the superabundance of things uh, which we have in comparison with, the, with parts of the developing world. Our parents, our grandparents and, and, and generations before that, they knew nothing of that, that superabundance. Life was hard and uh, food had to be worked for very often. But uh, in, in our generation, uh, food and all sorts of goods, variety of goods, uh, can be easily obtained. Amazon and all that. Now, it's often said that uh, today that being dull and being boring is the, sort of the modern crime. And so when the Israelites com complain uh, here, uh, there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. And you might feel, well, you know, we can sympathise with them a bit. 
but sympathising with the Israelites in these complaints about a monotonous diet would be really incredibly superficial and misguided. So I want to look at three things really, the provision of God, the response of the people, and then the lessons that we can learn in application to ourselves. So, the provision of God, the manna. Now, it was an astonishing provision. Uh, when the manna was first given to satisfy the hunger of the people, it was something that was absolutely new to them. When they went out in the morning, they saw the manna lying on the ground. They said to themselves, what is it? Now the word in Hebrew, what is it, is manna. They were puzzled, they were mystified, they didn't know what it was. And we can see that they struggled to describe it. Uh, There are comparisons with, with resin, with olive oil. Uh, with bread, uh, with uh, frost on the ground, with coriander seed, with wafers made of olive oil. So all these things are, are, are used to try to describe something that was absolutely new in their experience. They were searching, struggling to try to describe this manna. What is it? So it was an astonishing provision. It was also an abundant provision. We have to remember that this was a provision for a whole nation. Not just a family, not even a tribe, but for the whole nation. Now, you should note in the description of the or account of their, of their murmurings that there is no mention of hunger here in this chapter. You see, there was no lack of sustenance in the food that God provided. There was enough for everyone. There was enough for each one. No one lacked when God provided. The references to bread and to olive oil show that it was sustaining and it was healthy. The references to honey and to olive oil show that it had a, a pleasant taste. So it was a great provision which God had made, an abundant provision. But it was also a constant provision that God had made. All the time of their 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, the manna never once failed them. Only when they ate their first unleavened bread and roasted grain in the land of Canaan did the manna cease. It was God's faithful and unfailing provision. He is a God of providence. He is a God who provides. And the manna tells the that. This whole uh, provision for, for the nation uh, of Israel during the wilderness journey tells us God is the God of providence provides. 
And there was also a daily provision. We are taught by the Lord Jesus in what's known as the Lord's Prayer to pray, uh, give us our daily bread. We are to rely upon God daily. Now we perhaps don't uh, understand really the implications of that or we, we, we don't uh, really feel the, the sort of need for that in the way that people who are poor or people who are in a, uh, in a situation where they have really got to, to, to work for their, 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 their daily sustenance and get food out of the ground and so on. We don't understand it in the same way that people in real need and poverty understand this sort of thing. The Israelites were taught uh, to depend upon God by this daily provision. Uh, they weren't allowed to store the manna uh, from, from day to day. The, man, the manna just went off, it went bad, uh, if they tried to store it. With the exception, of course, on the sixth day, when they were told to have a, store in a double portion, and that would do them for the Sabbath day, when they weren't allowed uh, to go out and, and, uh, and do work. So, uh, stored manna went off and was useless. So, that is something which, uh, which we might think about later on, as uh, there's a message in that itself. And also, it was a heavenly provision. The psalmist describes it as bread from heaven. And uh, waxing, if I, uh, very lyrical, uh, also if I calls it angel's food. So, that's uh, a sort of literary and if I flourish there, not to be taken uh, literally. Uh, but it, it shows just how uh, wonderful and amazing this provision was from God himself. There's one episode in, I think it's in the Gospel of John, where Jesus corrects the Jews of his day. They were attacking him, and they were saying, uh, you're, you're not really up to the standard of, of Moses. Uh, Moses uh, gave us uh, bread from heaven. But Jesus says, no, it wasn't Moses who gave you bread from heaven. It was God who gave you the bread from heaven. This meant that it was divine. It was supernatural in its, its origin. It wasn't natural. Uh, it, that was proved by the pattern of, of appearance. If it was natural, it would have been there every, every, every day of the week. But it wasn't there on the seventh day. So it was something that came from heaven. It was a heavenly provision. Now, I think against the background of, of these sort of thoughts about the manna, we can perhaps think about the response of the people. Now, the first thing that's so obvious, isn't it, is the complaining spirit which they had. And as we've seen before, the complaining spirit uh, which they had here was, was nothing new. It was repeated again and again in their 
in, in the story of their wanderings through the wilderness, which, of course, were partly due to their own disobedience. So, uh, the worst example of it was found at Kadesh. Uh, the story of Kadesh Barnea was when you know, they were uh, they were about to go into the, the promised land and they sent spies and of course there and if, uh, they, uh, instead of listening to uh, those who brought the good report of the land they listened to those who were uh, listened to those uh, who were fearful uh, and who just didn't trust in the living God complaining, whining spirit distrustful spirit is something that was uh, a feature of the, of the Israelites and we are warned against that in the book of Psalms so this complaining, whining uh, spirit is something which is objectionable in anyone but it's especially objectionable surely in the people of God when we realise what God has provided for us especially when we realise that God has provided a saviour Matthew Henry great Puritan uh, commentator uh, said those who might be happy often make themselves miserable by discontent Paul says, having food and raiment, that's food and clothing, he was uh, therewith content. He was happy with that, just the very basic things of existence. A spirit of contentment, happy with what God gives. Also, we see a sorrowful self-pity. And the idea is quite clear in the verse, isn't it? Uh, it says, there is nothing at all but there's manna uh, to, to look at. Uh, and the self-pity is very often connected with a complaining spirit. And it's a, it's a spiritual and moral, a psychological and destructive dead end, isn't it? Self-pity usually comes with some sort of lack of perspective. It was a failing of Jonah, for example, when the, the gourd that he had uh, sheltered under uh, was destroyed by the worm and the sun beat down upon him and he was peevishly complaining to God for sending this worm to destroy the gourd that he sheltered under. And at the same time showing an absolutely uncaring attitude to the spiritual welfare of the masses of the people of the city of Nineveh. When you feel self-pity taking over, when you ask yourself, what have I done to deserve this? Then beware Self-pity starts and ends with self. It's called self-pity for good reason. Self is at the centre of it. And self was at the centre of the complaints 
of the Israelites in the wilderness. Also, uh, here we have surely a worldly outlook. Selfishness and a worldly outlook go hand in hand. Material things, sensual pleasures, were what attracted them. They were longing for the the leeks and the garlics and onions and the cucumbers and the the fish and, and so on. The sensual things were what attracted them and what they were longing for. That's what would fill their mental and spiritual horizons. They forgot. They didn't consider. They didn't value the fact that they were the covenanted people of God on a pilgrimage journey to the land that God had promised to them. A land flowing with milk and with honey. What feasted the eyes, what filled the belly, was far more important to them than the what should have sustained their faith. Now we are, as Christians, in terrible danger if we succumb to worldliness. Worldliness destroys Christian contentment. It binds us to the fashions of this age. It teaches us to look to man. It teaches us to look to human resources. It craves what is sophisticated and smart. It fosters the cult of personality. It forgets that the first shall be last and the last shall be first. It forgets that Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. It forgets that he said, Blessed are those who mourn. The values of this world and the values of the kingdom of God are not at all the same. And it's not just the things of this world that attract us very often. We also swallow the values of this world and that is exceedingly dangerous to our own spiritual health and welfare. We also note about them that they had a very selective memory. Yeah, they were thinking of thinking back to the fish, to the, the leeks, the garlic, the, the cucumbers and, and, and so on. There were plenty of these things in Egypt, but there were other things too, which they conveniently forgot about. They forgot about the idolatry. They forgot about the false religion. They forgot about the bondage. They forgot about the persecution. They forgot about the uh, attempted ethnic cleansing of their nation. They forgot about the beatings. They forgot about the misery. They forgot about the the tyranny. They forgot about the seven-day work with no rest. They forgot about them being being commanded to make uh, bricks without straw and so on. Conveniently erased from their minds. Selective memory. Oh, how the devil likes to paint a rosy picture of life of ease in the world. Christians can be attracted back to that. We can backslide. We can, uh, we can be fooled 
into thinking, well, life was a lot easier. The devil likes to magnify the pleasures of the sin which is only for a season. Beware a selective memory. So, the lessons for us. Well, there is the the danger of forgetting. If we are believers, we should often reflect on what the Lord has done for us. We've been delivered from death, from condemnation, from spiritual bondage. We've been taken, as the psalmist says, from the fearful pit and from the miry clay. The Lord has set our feet upon the rock. He has put a new song uh, in our mouths and in our hearts. We have been justified by the blood of Christ. We are the recipients of all that completed, finished work of Christ which we were thinking about this morning. We've been given the Spirit of God. We've been reconciled to him. We've been adopted into his family. We have the assurance of his abiding presence with us. Indeed, he has said that he will come in and he will sup with us, he will dine with us. We will know intimate fellowship with our God. We have the knowledge of sins forgiven. We have the promise of eternal glory. And so forth and so forth. We could multiply that, can't we? Can, we can add to all the innumerable blessings which we have in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, despite all these things, we can be guilty of forgetting. That's why in the Ten Commandments we have, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. That's why in the, in the communion service uh, we are been given this, what the words, do this in remembrance of me. I wonder if we forget the Lord in times of crisis and trial in our lives. Do we forget him in the midst of worldly company? Do we forget him in times of prosperity when we are at ease in Zion, as it were? One of my favourite commentators, especially on the Old Testament, is an American (coughs) commentator, Dale Ralph Davis. And he says, We stand in the present, but dwell on the past in order that we can be steadfast in the future. Uh, dwell there meaning reflect we stand in the present that's our, our, our position but we reflect on the past we think back in order that we can be steadfast for the future we can learn from the past and one of the things we can learn from the past is that God provides for his people and then too we can learn the lure of the world It's not for nothing that the Apostle John writes in his epistle. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now John's not speaking there of the natural world of beauty around about us. 
and I suspect that a lot of us love uh, the highlands of Scotland and its, its beauty. He's not speaking really either about, the, about mankind in, in, in general. What he's thinking about is the, the world of humanity in its rebellion against God, in its deceitfulness, in its rebellion, in its unbelief, in its greed, in its violence, in its pride, in its cruelty, in its covetousness, in its deceitfulness, and so on. All these things. That world is something which the Christian should have absolutely nothing to do with. And yet, that world paints itself in fair colours. It attracts by uh, its music, by its vibrancy, and so on and so forth. And there is the danger of being lured into it and into its lifestyle. It's so much easier to become entangled than it is to extricate oneself from the world. A worldly church and a worldly Christian should be a contradiction in terms. But the danger is there and we have to beware the danger. That's why John warned about it. That's why we have the example here of the Israelites. And two, there is a need for thankfulness. If a complaining spirit is ugly, and it is, there is a corresponding beauty in a thankful spirit. Let us cultivate a thankful spirit. Now it used to be the case that uh, in society as a whole, but particularly among Christians, it was a habit uh, to say grace, to give thanks uh, before we ate a, a meal. I recommend that practice to you because it reminds us of what the Lord said uh, to his disciples, teaching them to pray, give us our daily bread, and also reminds us that we should have this thankful spirit. Right? And it's called saying grace because uh, it is something which inculcates a gracious spirit within us. We don't take things for granted. We should emulate the psalmist who said, I will bless the Lord at all times. Now, of course, it takes grace from God to be able to do that. Right? When we are annoyed by somebody, uh, when we are going, going through times when we are misrepresented, or when uh, everything is confused round about us and uh, things are difficult, or when uh, we, uh, we have a sense of uh, failure, it's, it's really difficult at these times to have this thankful spirit. So we need grace. And I always think it's wonderful that in the Old Testament, you, know, you can have a, a psalm saying, I will bless the Lord at all times. Very often think that the psalmist is far more advanced in grace than I am. But it's a wonderful thing to emulate. I will bless the Lord at all times. When the gourmet mules fail because we're in difficult economic circumstances, 
when times are hard, when there are trials, when afflictions come, when, when there are difficulties, when we go through the through tragedy, when we go through bereavement, uh, when discouragements abound, when there's opposition. It's difficult then to have a thankful spirit. But that's what we need. That's when we need grace. We need to, for God to help us and to strengthen us to have that thankful spirit. And I suggest to you that no matter how difficult life is for us, and how many problems we face, there is always something that we can give thanks to God for. And there is always a God to whom we can give thanks. Then too, we might think too as a lesson that we need to trust God at all times. They were going through a wilderness. They were going through a journey which was, was difficult. And we can't perhaps be too harsh on them from that point of view. But the lesson is that we need to trust God at all times. I was reading recently a, a story of a, of a man in this. This illustrates it in a very perhaps spectacular way and very often God provides in a much more low-key way. It was set in America, in the state of California, probably in the the first part of, first half of last last century. And this man was a Christian, he was a devoted Christian, and he had an urge to, to spread the gospel. So he decided he was going to give up his orange farm and he was going to go uh, full time preaching the gospel. So he would go round and whatever, he would get an opening, he would preach the gospel. And his real desire was uh, to preach the gospel on the radio. And uh, he tried uh, umpteen times to, to get that opening, but it was really very difficult. Eventually he, he found an opening. But it was quite, quite expensive to do it. So this time he got this bill from the, from the radio company. And the bill was for, I think, $500. And he only had $350. He was $150 short. And uh, he, he was praying to God. He was uh, calling upon the name of the Lord. And it didn't seem that God was providing for him. And so he said to his wife, uh, I'll just have to cancel uh, the contract that we have because I'm not able to pay this the full amount. So he got up and he walked over towards his, his telephone. And just at that time, the telephone rang. Lifted the receiver and there was a, a man on the other end who was a, a dentist. And the dentist uh, said to him, uh, do you need any money? And he said, well, actually I do. How much? $150. Come round to my house then. So he went round to the dentist's house. And then to said to him that the, the night before that his uh, wife, or, or the day before his wife said to him, you've got to give the preacher 
$150. How she knew, I don't know. Anyway, uh, the dentist said, well, I've only got $25 in my bank account. I can't possibly do it. Well, the wife said to him, you've got to. So he went off to work, and there, uh, in his work, was a cheque for $500. So which uh, a patient who hadn't paid his, his uh, bills for quite a while, he just and he maybe had a, a prickling of conscience and uh, sent him this big cheque. And so he was able to uh, give the man this $150. So it was an amazing story of provision, not only of provision, but of actual timing of that. Shows the ways in which God's providence can, uh, can work. And so that man was able uh, to, uh, to continue uh, his ministry of the word of God. So we need to trust because God can provide. So lastly, and perhaps most importantly of all, the lesson that we learn here is the sweetness of Christ. To the believer, he is the bread of heaven. He is our daily manna. He's the one who sustains and who satisfies our souls. He is infinitely precious to the believer. He is the one who is sweet beyond compare. I love the, the letters uh, of Samuel Rutherford, uh, who was one of the, the covenanters. Now, he was a theologian, and his theology perhaps is very hard to read and difficult, but his letters, in which his love for Christ comes out, they are absolutely amazing. And if you haven't and have, uh, read them, then they're, they're not very long. It's not a huge read, and because they're letters, you can read one at a time. And they, they are absolutely amazing. They are brimming with his love to the Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. The sacrifice that the Lord Jesus Christ made on Calvary will be our theme, it will be our love song throughout eternity and here surely it sustains us in the midst of our pilgrimage through this world we rejoice that when we were sinners Christ died for us that his love was shown for us on Calvary when we came to appreciate that love for us then surely too that was the, the theme of our hearts the delight of our souls Christ's love for us we saw in the darkness of Calvary the brilliance of God's love for us it was an eternal love an undying love an immense tender strong love a love far exceeding any earthly love. It was sacrificial and self-giving in a way which is far beyond our grasp. Eternity will not be sufficient to explore 
the depths of the love of Christ to us. How then can we descend into the grumbling spirit of the Israelites? The answer to self-pity, to worldliness, to grumbling, is to look to Christ and to discover afresh the sweetness of the one who is the heavenly manna for our souls. I wonder if you know the sweetness of Christ. I wonder if you have tasted the heavenly manna, or is all this really fairly meaningless to you? He is the one who came to give us flesh for the life of the world. And today, he offers to you, he offers to each one of us, the fullness of his love and of his saving grace. Will you not receive him in all his love and fullness and saving grace? Will you not discover how sweet is his love for guilty sinners? May our prayers be the words of William Williams, the Welsh uh, preacher and uh, wonderful hymn writer. Bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we give thanks for Christ, uh, the bread of heaven, the one who satisfies our souls. May we indeed be enabled by grace to feed by faith upon him. In Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to conclude by singing in Psalm 107. And in in the Scottish uh, Psalter. And we shall sing verses in about one, one to nine. Praise God, for he is good, for still his mercies lasting be. Let God's redeemed say so, whom he from the enemy's hand did free.
And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. 